Continuing our celebration of Women's History Month with our series of interviews with women in cybersecurity, from CISOs and the lessons they've learned to what the next generation of defenders has to offer, we're bringing you two interviews per week, all month long. Kids or career? This is a false choice, too often leveled at women across all industries. So, how to confront this question? And what are the skills needed to progress from technical know-how to business acumen and then into senior leadership? Today, my guest is Michelle Tucker, Vice President of Security Outreach at Huntington National Bank. I wanted to talk to Michelle about what she's learned about choices in her career and how to cultivate the skills of the next generation of women leaders. Michelle Tucker, welcome to First Watch. George, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I think I've been waiting for this conversation to get started. Yes. Yeah, so let's start with a story. Um, I want to ask you to retell the story that we heard offline about the moment you got caught with a, a phone in a meeting. Oh, that one. Yes. So it was a while ago at a former um, company. Um, Heading into an executive meeting and I carry my cell phone, right? It's just what we do, especially now that we're attached to technology. But more importantly, um, after the meeting, a female executive pulled me aside and um, basically gave me a slap on the hand to tell me I should not have had my cell phone in the room. And I asked her why. And she told me that, you know, at our levels, you know, that whole spiel, and then coming into an executive, and I'm doing air quotes here, um, we shouldn't have them because we need to be focused on the meeting. So I told her the reason I carry my cell phone is I am a mom first and foremost. And so my children, if they call me, and if they call me more than once, I will politely excuse myself, leave that room and attend to my children. And she told me that if I want to advance my career, I should really rethink that. And I told her, you can actually walk me out of the building if you feel that me answering a phone call from my children, warrants, and any reprimand. And I was really annoyed by her contact, mm -hmm. especially she was also a mother. Very shocking. Okay. Well, the, I asked for that for a reason, and we're going to come back to that story in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, but let's rewind uh, to your cyber origin story, because I think some of these things come together in an interesting way. Okay. How did I get started? You want the wirely way, way back in the day story? <laughs> so Yes, let's let's start there. Okay. So um, you know, just I've been around the sun a few times, right? Um, have a birthday coming up next month. So excited for that one as well. But no, really, there was not a um practice called cyber when mm -hmm. I started. Um I'm an English major, so I actually wanted to be a lawyer um as a little girl and went to school for um, English, got my BA, but really it's around the communication and the use of language and how you learn to communicate through the audiences. Mm -hmm. So my path really took me through, um, and one of my foundational roles, and you may laugh at this, is um, an administrative assistant. I became the best at that role because when you think about what admins do, we support organizations beyond people, right? So you're talking mm -hmm. about teams. So we're the early stages, as I like to um, fashion this as um, program managers, 
right? So you have the people management, you have the departmental, the equipment, and all of the other things. So I took that to heart, and I think really everything I do, it's what task or what role am I given? I'm going to try and do the best with that. So when I talk about being an admin, um, the the base of that story is I support 128 people for a systems and software development group. Okay. Um, wow. We had... Uh, seven locations across the nation. Um, you know, so my executive team, I think I supported, uh, the, uh, reported at the time to the EVP. And I'm going into depth in this one because you'll understand it in a second. So I report, reported to the EVP, supported three VPs, two directors, eight managers, and then 120 people on the floor across mm -hmm. um, the locations. And through that, we split the organization. So um, when I walked out of that job, they replaced me with five people. Yeah. Right. And so from that, um, you know, with my English deg degree, I also rolled right into a technical writing role. Um, and it came naturally. Uh, again, the, the control and the management of how you communicate to different audiences, that came very um, natural to me. So whether I was talking to executives, so again, in that admin role, I had full access to the C-suite. And mm -hmm. I was um, a good resource in um, colleague for them and with them. So we took that and um, the vice president that actually rolled me into my um, tech writing role, they just said, Michelle, you know, you've really been project managing the whole time you've been an administrator. So I want to lend that skill and throw you on some projects to, again, enhance what you do with communications. Um, so from there, I became a business analyst uh, that rolled into um, a technology analyst in, in the sense that now I'm crossing between risk and technology. And so in that role, um, I became a business liaison uh, for my organization. And this was like another um, pivot for me because now I'm learning how the business moves and what mm -hmm. they need from technology. And again, we still haven't hit that cyberspace, right? <laughs> so now I'm into the IT risk management and I'm learning how important risk is for everything we do. And that was another foundational pivot, like I said, for my, my path. And in that space, we were a centralized risk team. And I think um, a lot of companies don't do risk in the center and they're, you know, um, moved out into the lines of business. And I think when we were a centralized managed team, um, risk became more holistic for the organization that I worked at. Um, and a lot of my peers, even today across uh, different um, industries, we come from that, that group um, at that at said company. And we all still foundationally sit very connected in how we look at risk and how we talk about risk. And mm -hmm. in our different organizations, we see that by not managing risk in the center, you have lines of business that potentially do too much on their own to make up you know, the practices to follow. Whereas a centrally managed team, you are really doing the enterprise um, the benefits of, of thinking holistically about risk. And so that that's where a lot of my um, knowledge came from is working with leaders. And then from a centralized managed risk space, we're really talking about how do we do this for the organization, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and from there, I went into um, access admin where I was not an administrator, but the team I was on, and then I started managing a team of access admins is now we're doing, you know, at that time, we we're a global company. We're now leaning into 
lending, leaning into uh, cybersecurity coming up as its own practice. So we were still considered information technology um, at the time, and we're, we're really just trying to see what does that mean when you start dealing with um, the cyber risk now. So what's available in, in cyberspace and what does that mm -hmm. look like? So it's, it's the fast follow to cyber is, is where I'm going with. So um, I became a manager. I was now managing a, let's see, what was that role? It's, it's funny because it, it was a program management role, but I was managing our, you know, uh, Unix and database mm -hmm. mainframe teams. And I was sort of like the internal liaison to senior management along with those um, verticals in the um, specific technology spaces. And then cyber became a thing, right? So, you That's know, right. there was, for, for me, I did not go to school for that. It's all, you know, jump in and learn. I always like to say I was thrown in the ocean to go figure it out, right? Um, even from the technology side, I remember, what year was that? 1993. Um, I graduated in 92. Um, and then in 93, I, I forget what it's called, and I probably should have looked this up first, is those all-in-one Mac um, PCs where it has mm -hmm. the floppy drive. Uh, oh, yeah, I yeah. got it, my first job in Columbus. Um, our sales team, our t you know, our IT team was rolling that um, computer out, and I just figured, um, not figured, I just landed somewhere in Vancouver while I was on, again, another air quote, on vacation. And my little sister um, was, being moved up in her her job and I was stuck out there for a snowstorm on the east coast and her boss was like here if you can do this just you know um, be like an office manager and learn this um, system and blah 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 so I learned this PC walk come back after the snow um, storm releases and that's the a machine that's rolled out and nobody on start. our team yeah they had no idea they're like what is this you know because so again for those listening right I was in the era of there was no internet coming mm -hmm. up, right? When I graduated university, I literally was on a the first set of brother electronic typewriters. So coming through um, my academics, we used a real typewriter. Click, clicks, push, you know, for anyone that doesn't know it, we were on those. So now I'm on an um, electric typewriter, and then we're rolling into computers. So this was mind-blowing for me. But anyway... Jump forward, I learned um, how to start this machine and I'm learning the ins and outs. So I roll into this new job I have in Columbus, my first job. And the sales team's looking at it going, what are these things? And I'm like, I know what it is. So I raised my hand and I, I was a part of the deployment team. So I had to have the opportunity um, to really walk through our entire organization, teaching them how to get this machine started. Which um, once again is communication, right? Having to yeah. like modulate yeah. for different kind of learning styles, different kind of usages. Yeah. So um, I would never call myself a technologist, but I think the experience I've had, again, jumping into my roles and having to really understand the needs of those organizations and teams as to where to, you know, propel ourselves to the, to the next. It's, it's always been really good to be there. So I'm working with real technologists and, you know, they're teaching me the ins and outs of what I need. And then I transfer that over. 
Back in a moment, stay tuned all this month as we celebrate women's history with a double dose of First Watch. We're dropping two episodes each week featuring women in cyber, from CISOs to first-year analysts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to my conversation with Michelle Tucker. As you point out, uh, we came into these professions before the pandemic, right? And so I think for many of us, the pandemic was an exercise first in coping, okay, new scenario, and then adapting. Uh -huh. But we have a foundation of in-office work and different kinds of work and having to communicate with different groups of people, like physically go to different places in a building. Right. But for younger defenders and cybersecurity people, everyone from risk analysts to whatever, they, who entered during the pandemic, I'm curious to see and understand what you think are the critical career skills that are either lacking because they don't have this experience of working with groups of people in person or skills that you think need the most help. I think some people believe you can kind of accomplish the same things through Zoom. I'm not so sure about that, but curious on your take. Absolutely. So in terms of um, the coping, so great word, right? Um, the pandemic truly taught us that the need for um, a sense of belonging, a sense of connection mm -hmm. was huge. I, so for me, if I flip it from the folks coming into the field, I want to pivot it back to leaders, right? So for me as leaders, we need to really pay attention to how we're bringing people in. And then when we stick to just the technology pieces, like the Zoom calls, Teams, whatever your mm -hmm. um, vehicle is, it's what are people going to get when they're a part of a team and when you no longer have team-related activities that bring you together, how does that play on the psyche, right? So through the pandemic, um, a lot of what I did, you know, I had a team, um, myself, a direct set of colleagues, is we purposely and intentionally had meetups. So when it was safe to be outside, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll say that, right? So we're doing all the protocols, but we chose to come together um, at a park Right. So again, we were in the open, making sure we were safe, but we all committed to being there and to hear my 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 colleagues share how hard the pandemic was emotionally, mentally, um, really, really, really impacted me because we don't think about the walls that we were mm -hmm. sitting in. So and I'm sort of off track for you from your question, but it's. If you're alone, so luckily I was blessed to have my daughter. My youngest daughter was um, back from school, finishing off her last year of university um, here at home, but I had someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. There were many people sitting in those walls of their apartments and houses, big or small, that were by themselves. And when you were restricted um, from going outside to have that physical contact, I mean, we came into this world to be a part of a world, right? So there are people moving through it. So when you're stuck behind the walls, the camera's not enough. Right. Right. And so we've also heard with um, those coming out of school or starting a career in the pandemic, it was, I will never know what it feels like to sit in an office and walk around and have a collaboration session or, you know, meet different people outside of my organization because I'm in a building full of people. Mm -hmm. 
and I think it's important at some point, you, you know, we're, we're doing remote work, so everyone is not in the same location, but it means so much when you can finally, you don't have to do a million of them, but do something, do one big event where you have the majority of your teams and um, groups coming in together to have that human connection, right? That yeah, and I, I remember coming in to the office before kids, you know, your time was more flexible. You could drill a little bit harder. You could stay a little bit later. You'd come a little earlier. And I'm cognizant that for young people entering the pandemic, if they had only the work, I think there was a temptation to, to pull 12 hour days. I mean, cause it was just you and the computer and it was easy to just stay in it, which sets really bizarre norms, you know, for your working life. And it's not healthy, right? So our, again, back to the leadership, are you turning off, teaching your employees to turn off, mm -hmm. right? So like you said, um, think about uh, the newcomers from university coming in and, you know, again, that constant, I'm online, now they're online for work. Yep. Again, that human connection is missing, but are we teaching them how to turn off? So again, back to my team. Um, looking at them and saying, get offline one to go take a break, take a lunch, walk away, have a mental moment, and then end your day. So pre-pandemic, we drove, mm -hmm. right? Or some movement to get to work. Now we're all in our homes making movements in our homes to get somewhere. But the time you spent driving to work, taking a bus, however you got there, um, that, that was your mental downtime or your prep time. We no longer have that because it's open a door, go to a computer and continue. Well, and I think before we started recording, you said how it's important for you to close a door in your house and then like walk yeah. into the office to so just create that bifurcation. I think that is also very real because when the pandemic started, you know, I had a laptop sitting on top of books or something. And I think it was like July, 2020 that I realized like, this setup needs to be more Different. because I keep <laughs> pretending like we're just going to go back tomorrow and it's not right. And so make the space yeah. comfortable. Um, if you can kind of try to separate it from, you know, cause if you're just working off a laptop in your kitchen, then you are, you're not working from home. You are living at work. That's, that's the reality. And that is absolutely beautiful. Right. So how profound it is. We are, our work life has invaded home. Right. And you have to make that mental separation. So I literally will get up and make water breaks like the water cooler. Mm -hmm. I have a um, water filtration system installed in my house. So I purposely one, I need to drink more water, but I actually get up from my desk to go get water. I don't always have something sitting around me mm -hmm. because I need that action. I want to, um, you know, make that break in my day. But you also asked about the skills. Um, I think what we need to harness is, you know, when we have our now remote workforce is making sure that people stay connected with um, continued career development. And that's a, that's a huge focus for organizations, right? So yes, we started a job or you start a job right out of college, but are we putting things in place to make sure those skills are uplifted and continuous, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for new joiners, making sure that you don't lose sight of what interests you to take the job, right? It's not just a paycheck. It shouldn't just be a paycheck, 
right? For those of us that have been here long, if you have to recreate excitement about what you do every day. So, you know, are there Udemy courses or mm -hmm. other certifications that you can sort of build towards? Because you want to have an end goal when you start any job, right? But in technology, you want to stay fresh. You know, raise your hand to be a part of organizations like, you know, ISSA and ISACA, um, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Because meetings are important. So a lot of virtual meetings are still continuing. And this tapping into that, right? Um, it's, it's sort of what you miss on those face-to-face um, -face moments, too, as a new joiner. You might be connected to a more senior teammate, right? And your in-person interaction may be a little different. So be intentional if you're remote to set up one-on-ones with people who are, um, you know, more mature or have longevity in a field that you're in and ask those questions, you know, like touch points. They don't have to be, you know, an hour long. They could be 50-minute um, snippets where you just get to hear about what they're doing and maybe something they are doing will interest you um, to set goals for yourself personally and for, um, to develop your skills. Yeah, for sure. So I want to end here by circling back to the story with the phone and yeah. i want to focus on this idea of choice especially as it relates to women in cybersecurity. women are often faced with the false choice as you were you know it's career or kids right this is a um and it's probably the oldest false choice given to working women it's not unique to cyber at all um so i want to in the context of cyber we know that there's a gap in female achievement. So more women are entering the field than ever before, which is great. But there's this like gap around manager director level, where the numbers begin to taper off quite dramatically, and then affects that senior leadership, right, where it's just where we see the most glaring disparity. So I'm very curious about this jump in the mid career path, which, you know, unsurprisingly, probably dovetails with choices to have a family, um, whether there's support there or not to make the transition back or have enough maternity leave. But you had this career where you were, you had contact with the C-suite, you were gleaning kind of all these intangible things. You could see people's reactions, you could observe certain behaviors, somebody presents something or doesn't present something well, and you can see the CEO's reaction, and you can take all these mental notes, like, am mm -hmm. I going to do that next time? So given these choices, um, what are some lessons that you would impart from your own career for making that jump, that jump from like, maybe team lead technical expertise into this, the business acumen that's necessary to, to get up and out and into VP level, which is where you have to start thinking more broadly about business strategy. Absolutely. Um, love the question. So for me, really, it's go for it, right? I love, I love Nike's tagline, just do it, mm -hmm. right? We find, so when you talk about, you know, women having to make choices, and I think you heard me say this um, at our session earlier in the year, it's, I chose my family to be my focus, right? Um, no one stopped me from going out and getting a million certs, but my family meant everything to me. And I'm watching my daughters now um, and flourishing where they are. And I don't regret that, but it still was a choice. Mm -hmm. And like you said, for me, it's go for it. Don't be afraid. All someone can tell you is no. And then if it's something you really want, 
tap in there, find your mentors, find your sponsors, interview managers for teams. You know, you, you, you might not be a good fit for where you are today, but go after what you desire because you only get to live once. And this life is so precious. And again, back to the pandemic, it taught us a whole lot. And I still choose me. I still choose my family first. And I will not counter that or put that on the back burner. Um, but I'm really more excited now in life that I'm, I'm still walking in my choices, but I have a clearer vision because I know what I won't do. But you have to learn that, you know, starting out. And, and really, it's just if you have a goal, don't let someone else stop you and don't let your circumstances stop you. Push through, dig in because you have to be your biggest champion, but find, find a good circle of people that really encourage you to be a better you. Well, that can think of no better place to end the conversation than that. That was incredible. Um, Michelle Tucker, thank you so much for the time. George, thank you. It's a pleasure. That's it for First Watch today. My thanks to Michelle Tucker. To hear more interviews with leaders and more Spotlight episodes, subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, share on your socials or leave us a rating. It helps others follow the show. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber with original music by Matias Cefaletti and production help from Jamil Mafi. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.